What are we talking about? Welcome to the 17th episode of the Minaj and Scott podcast. This is our first one of 2021. There's lots of things uh, in the public space and our own personal lives that have been going on. Uh, personally, we have our daughter graduating from eighth grade, our son halfway through his master's in NYU. We've got uh, Biden passes first hundred days. Um, we've got conflicts in Jerusalem between uh, Israel and the Palestinians. And um, we've got, at least here in the United States, uh, a waning finally of the COVID uh, pandemic. Like for instance, I went with our son to Costco, which I don't do often, but we were there without masks and we even got samples. And that, that's not a uh, turning point in, in a pandemic. I don't know what is. But uh, like we always do, we talked about, we like to talk about Manaz's work and today, uh, this evening she revisited her old stomach grounds in Scarsdale, New York, and was invited to talk about something very specific today, which is the interaction between Jews and Muslims. Would you like to talk about that, Manaz? Yeah, hi. Uh, happy 2021. I feel very positive that we are kind of moving towards outside of COVID, um, that we're going to be traveling soon, and very exciting things will be happening. Um, I was invited tonight uh, by the Westchester Community Jewish Council to talk in front of about a thousand people on the rise of anti-Semitism and the rise of hate in America. And how was it, re how was it received? Well, it was received really well because I basically was the only Muslim and um, I think Jews are feeling very vulnerable and they're feeling alone as they normally do and the fear is really high and people are being attacked in New York City for wearing kippahs, uh, synagogues and um, I mean also Muslims are but um, less so than Jews, um, especially after the Israeli-Gaza uh, conflict. Um, the 12-day 12, 12 conflict um, that just happened. So it was received really well because I tried to assure them that they were not alone and that I was somebody who really advocated for um, them in terms of anti-Semitism, but also believed in the state of Israel um, in a way that I think most Muslims are not coming out and talking about. You feel like they give some, some sort of comfort? I think maybe they they can sort of get some comfort because I also don't avoid um, the issues that I do have with Israel and I don't avoid the fact that we have very uncomfortable conversations right now and challenging conversations in terms of Jewish Jewish Muslim relations. I mean, for me, it's about humanity. Um, I, I'm not a government. I'm not a politician, um, but I really want to build bridges between Jews and Muslims. You know, this conflict, uh, it's been with us all our lives. Think about going back to your first time as a young lass, you know, when you <laughs> first went to, to Israel. Um, has really anything changed in terms of this conflict between uh, Israel and Palestine? Can you, I mean, with your own lens, just give a few, like a sketch of 
what the issues are and you know how, how you can someone who's listening to this who just sees it on the news can can understand the conflict with a little more nuance wow um that's a big question i would need hours and hours and hours and uh semester to do that but i you know i, I think one of the most important things for people to understand is that there are two narratives um, that are constantly in battle since the inception of Israel in 1948. Uh, one narrative is from the Arab and Muslim side is that Israel was created as a colonial state in the middle of the Middle East by Britain and the United States, right. which is pretty much true. Um, so it was seen again as a colonizing state, a European state, not necessarily a Jewish state, not necessarily a state where people were fleeing away from something because of the lack of knowledge on the Arab and the Muslim side. And then on the Israeli side, um, it was, they were just coming home. Um, to them, they were coming home to what belonged to them, the most holy places, a place that would accept them because every other place rejected them. And at the same time, they also had a colonial mindset. There were Europeans that saw Arabs as sort of indigenous and thought, okay, well, we can hire them as farmers. We can take this land. We can work on this land. Uh, we can kind of work with them. Um, but that's not what happened. So I think one of the things that I always talk about and try to bridge is these two narratives. Now, how do you bridge those narratives when they're totally different? Um, I think it's because of perception. And I mean, if we could all just sort of collapse and say, okay, let me really listen to what you have to say about your narrative about something. I think something does happen and I've been able to bridge that. Um, it's not about who suffered more, or who suffered less. It's not about who has more land or who has less. Because if we, if, if we constantly figure, if we constantly focus on that aspect, then we're really not going to have peace. And this has been the problem from day one. The second problem is how, you know, Israelis see um, Arabs and Palestinians are terrorists, especially under Hamas, and how Palestinians see uh, the IDF as a military organization um, that does not uh, accept and respect them in terms of human dignity, passing, you know, check controls, um, lack of water in places I mean there's all these kind of issues so it's, it's it's a very complicated issue but really what I said initially is a perception problem well I'll say this uh, I, I've been sort of uh, focused on this in terms of this uh, issue is that you know obviously this is not new and if you go back to the first intifada um, popular support I should say for Palestinians has sort of grown year over year over year and uh, as I was mentioning to you earlier that uh, I think that what's happening at least in the West like the US and, and the UK is people are beginning to equate 
what's happening with Palestinians in terms of what's happening in the streets of their homes, towns. Now, it's easy to poke holes in that argument, but the aesthetic that's going on is militarized police. That's the aesthetic of the police in militarized outfits. And, you know, over the last summer, summer of 2021, 2020, we had a lot of strife in the cities of, you know, Portland and New York and Chicago. And one of the, the elements that you take away are these policemen, they're dressed in black, they're like, you know, straight out of like a Batman movie or whatever. And this is something that people are equating with uh, IDF all, you know, geared out and um, approaching Palestinians. But you can take that for what it's worth. But the, the thing is, is that um, where are we now in terms of America? Um, and, the, and the answer to that is that uh, in a post-Cold World, Cold War world, where we had our defined enemies, you know, whether it was Germany in the past, Vietnam, communism, Russia, well, all of our enemies have fallen here in the United States, and so it seems to me that uh, we're beginning to look at each other as the enemy, and this clearly is the situation we have politically. Um, and interestingly, COVID, so I'm making this arc from from Israel and our shared experience here, and people are trying their cheap people are making these connections to what's the oppression of uh, Palestinians to what's going on in the street here in America and COVID has exacerbated all this stuff and um, so I wanted to get your perspective on how COVID what were the takeaways in terms of uh, urban strife in America in terms of COVID also professionally how COVID is affecting the professional intellectual world, your thoughts? Well, I don't know. You made such a huge leap from Israel and Palestine to this um, and to militarization of the police. I mean, I, you know, I think, you know, being in this field for 20 years plus, uh, yeah, I see a difference in media. It was very pro, pro-Israeli is now more sort of like leaning towards pro-Palestinian. But it's not really the media, it's the people on the ground because they relate to <clears throat> being colonized, they relate to seeing mili- mi- people with guns in the streets and that, how that's bad. Um, and there's there's a sort of kind of liberal sort of, sort of like underlying feeling that you know any state that has military or more weaponry is a bad state however um you know in the streets of the united states what are we protecting uh we're not protecting jews from security which is what israel is doing because that's why they became militarized but what we're protecting in the streets of the United States is an ivory tower of elites. Um, so I think that's a very different. You could be more right. 
Yeah. So it's a very different kind of. And I know people will argue with me about this, and I'm happy to have a long conversation with them. And it's also a historical process. Um, in terms of COVID, um, your question was about how things have changed. I don't know if things have necessarily changed in the sense of the police <laughs> or militarization of the government, but I think certainly has. I think there are a lot of things that have changed in terms of how social media has become the gaze of all classes. It's not an elitist class, it's not middle class, it's not lower class, it's all. all. Um, and I think that's really interesting because whatever the social media and whatever platform you're in and whatever you believe is what you're seeing. So we're actually becoming more siloed, which means that, as you know, the algorithm so if I were to watch something on Instagram or TikTok or Facebook or whatever you have, would be where I would, li uh, would be living. Because of the lack of contact with people, but also the, the, the idea that we can sit nestled in our house and still work if we have the opportunity to work. Um, so, I, 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 you know, it depends. I mean, there's a lot of positive things that we could take from this. But I think a lot of these kind of hate wars today um, in light of Israel and Palestine, COVID, uh, the, bi the part bipartisan issues we have in our government, uh, issues we have with, you know, different countries like Russia, China, and India are all kind of social media uh, engaged. I think we just, we just, we just don't have critical thinking and I think this is not a COVID problem. It's not a social media problem. It's a long running problem. All right, I'm gonna sort of put you on the spot on something. So I've been making incredible jumps here between different topics and uh, now with COVID being a global event, something interesting that's been going on that I'm fascinated with has to do with unidentified flying objects. UFOs. Uh huh. So interestingly, you know, our daughter, her last paper for her uh, eighth grade class, science, yeah. entire, the last paper she's going to write, had to do with um, new developments in the understanding of UFOs. Now, it's something that, as an American person, I've been aware of all my life. Uh, the most famous initial idea about uh, the existence of extraterrestrials and UFOs began here in the United States with Roswell and the landing in the 50s. But something has changed and it's fascinating that it's happening at the end of this global pandemic. Um, so what has happened is, and I'm gonna. There's gonna be a question for you here. So as as a I'm listening. As a religious scholar, okay. Oh boy. Yeah, this is the important thing. So so what's happened is over the last five or six years, um, we've moved from like a family or an individual who has an experience with a UFO somewhere in the woods, for instance, to professional I, I like what I like to call professional 
um, witnesses in the form of United States fighter pilots working on both the West Coast and East Coast with the advantages of a hypersonic jet and all the technology for viewing things on board said jet. These people are seeing what's now called UAPs, Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon, on a daily basis. And until recently, they were reluctant to talk about it. But because of a groundbreaking uh, article in the New York Times, they're now feeling open to talk about it. And now where we were now sitting on a, a congressional, a Senate demand for intelligence communities to reveal what they know by June 25th. So your birthday, my birthday, yeah, which is apropos. So my question to you is this: is that um, although I don't believe that uh, common knowledge that uh, there is these UFOs running around is going to change the amount of rent <laughs> for an individual in New York, um, if the government, within in quotes, authorizes the idea that there are non-human interventions into our lives. How do you think that affects the religious world? Oh, the religious world would be totally open to that. I mean, I'm a Muslim and I believe in the jinn world. And I believe that there have always been parallel universes. Um, you don't even have to look at Islam. Uh, but you can go back to Hindu civilization 10,000 years ago and talk, look at their literature and uh, look at how there were all these parallel universes that were coexisting. Uh, you can look at Buddhism and look at the fact that there is like a holistic view and that there is this other world that you have to sort of go into which you know most westerners call nirvana you can go with the beginnings of Judaism and look at you know the call of call from God so there's always this interception of the other um, that is not human so for me when I hear about UFOs, I just have to smile because I feel like there is this, I've always believed that there's always this parallel universe, but I can't imagine not living in that world. I think the idea of the secular, which is, you know, really a concept um, that came from, you know, a lot of the Western thinking uh, to take away religion, take away spirituality, take away what today we call as superstition or, or just indigenous religion. I mean, na we're sitting in America. I mean, Native Americans believe in that. Um, so I'm not at all like, oh, wow, you know, there's other, you know, living <laughs> sources of life. Of course there is. Um, in the Quran, we're told over and over again that we don't know enough 
and there are many worlds that we don't know. And so for me, it's not a phenomenon in that sense. I mean, maybe if you look at, you know, like if I go back into my mind and I think of myself as a child looking at these films and movies that were produced in Hollywood, for example, about, you know, Star Wars or, um, what's that, uh, extraterrestrials or alien or things like that. I mean, yeah, I mean, they're kind of sort of anthropomorphic in a sense, but I think that there are many parallel universes. So I think from a religious point of view, it's not shocking. Well, I consulted slightly on our daughter's paper. And um, the thing that uh, we talked about as conclusion is that the real sort of determination, when you go from sort of speculation and you know, like movies you see and ideas of uh, aliens and UFOs and jinn, etc., is that what we're missing is the power of observation, the technology of observation, what's, how it's going to change things when our technology gets to a certain point. Like, for instance, from the religious point of view, what if we had the ability one day to put on a pair of glasses and see the gin world? Well, I, I mean... And why did the gin have, have the ability to see our world? Well, I mean, they were kind of parallel. Um, there are, of course, many stories about jinns entering our world, uh, but it's discouraged. It's, it's to live in our own world. I mean, it depends on how you think about your existence. You think of your existence as uh, somebody who has all the wisdom and the truth, or do you believe in your existence as somebody who is always learning wisdom and truth? And if you're always learning wisdom and truth in your life, then you let things go and live your life the best you can or as ethically as you can without delving into other worlds. Um, <clears throat> most religions kind of say, okay, that's, that's not my deal, that's God's deal. And if a jinn enters my life or an alien or whatever, fine. But that's not what I want. This is, this is like life is too intense. It's packed full of stuff. I need to live it properly. Well, I was shift away from that. I, th I think that was a really interesting point of, to see what, what's going on here. Uh, but um, I want to sort of set up uh, our next podcast, uh, which will hopefully be from, not from the U.S. Uh, we've got some exciting traveling coming up. Uh, if you've been following our podcast, you know that we do travel to uh, Turkey and to uh, Bosnia quite a bit. So we'll be doing that again this summer, just a month from now. It'll be uh, Bosnia and then uh, Turkey and then Pakistan. And um, if you could just sort of get a glimpse of what we hope, what you hope to accomplish. Uh, why why we take this trip and 
maybe some of the things that we'll be talking about in the upcoming podcast. Well, A, I want to leave. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> I, 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 um, in, case, in case, for posterity's sake, because of COVID, there's plenty of, you know, problems with travel. I mean, we are all now, all, meaning all, this whole entire family is vaccinated as of early June 2021, but, you know, the whole world is still lagging behind. Well, I mean, I love to travel. Um, I feel like I'm a child of the world. I love the United States as my home, and uh, I, I have found many homes all over the world, and so that's one reason I want to go. But, you know, in, um, in Bosnia, I would like to do some interviews that I couldn't do during COVID, uh, during my sabbatical, about the Bosnian genocide, <coughs> memory, and Islam. I want to do the same thing in Turkey, maybe even talk a little bit about the loss of the Ottomans and how maybe it's even connected with the Armenian genocide in terms of denial or ruminations about it. And then in Pakistan, I went, obviously want to see my family, but I also want to do interviews on um, the partition of India. So my new book is really about the wounded Muslim, and I'm still sort of... I mean, I've written quite a bit, but I, I, I still am looking to hear from other people and be informed by other people about how they think about how Islam informs them about how to heal after war, genocide, what that means, how does it change for them. And so I'm very excited to go, and partly I hope to just enjoy it with my family, but also... Um, for me, work is work is love. It's joy. And uh, we'll have our son Alex here in New York, taking care of the soon and happy, and uh, his own monster. They're all cats, in case you don't know. Yeah, my cat's right here. So thank you for um, listening to this latest episode. Very so eclectic nice. episode. Yeah, well, we'll try and do our best because a lot's going on, floating around in this world. The moment and oh, and I got full professor. Oh, that's right. One of the great pieces of news. Um, Manaz is now at the apex of her. Um, da -da -da. Yeah, early, early yeah, full. That's fantastic. So, um, signing out from here in Yonkers, slash Bronxville. Assalamu alaikum. That was really fun.